0: The Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment. We're in the bowl season now in football and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them. You ask him, I answer them to the best of my ability. It can be on any topic, does not have to be on sports. Rick, I know it's been a busy week for you. Um, we, we're going to talk about some of this stuff, obviously, some college basketball, some news relating to Sean Miller that came down. Got a big game with Bengals, Bucks, and Tom Brady. So well, I'll let you take it away. we got a lot to get to.
0: Yeah, well, let's start on the Bengals' side of things. They won their fifth straight game on Sunday, 23-10, to 10, over the Browns at Paul Brown Stadium. They'll travel to Tampa Bay this week to take on the Buccaneers at 425 on Sunday. The big story coming out of the Browns win was all the injuries that piled up for the Bengals during that game. T. Higgins didn't play due to a hamstring. Tyler Boyd dislocated his finger as soon as the game started. Hayden Hurst didn't play due to a calf injury. Jay Hendrickson reportedly broke his wrist during the game, although that seemed to kind of change throughout the week, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, I'll get your opinion on that. And Joseph Asai injured his shoulder. That all sounds pretty bad. But on Wednesday, it seemed like we got some good news regarding some of those injuries. So. Skinny, can you can you break it down for us? Where does all the injury stuff stand at this point with this team?
1: Um, Tyler Boyd's going to play. T Higgins, I'll be shocked if he doesn't play. They've been limited both days of practice, but at least it means they're participating. Tyler uh talked in terms of it's just pain management for him that he's going to go out there and play and said, if, if I got two legs and can run, I'm going to play. Um, I think T's the same boat. I guess I fear for T is you know, does he test it full on Friday and Saturday and in pregame? And does it does it bite him again? You would hope not, but he's not gone full yet this week. I think the guys that are, are going to be out, unfortunately, you're, you're going to be really thin at the cornerback spot. Uh, Mike Hilton did not practice again today. Doesn't seem like he's going to be able to go this weekend, uh, even though he hurt his knee and came back and played in the Pittsburgh game. Uh, Jalen Davis has a thumb issue, um, has had his arm in a sling. So he's not going to play. There's your two slot corners. So say hello to Dax Hill at slot corner. Um, Trey Hendrickson it was weird. The report was broken wrist. Then it's <laughs> been called a wrist issue.
0: Yeah, explain that to me. I What's that mean?
1: I don't. Maybe a, I guess I'm going to guess they were getting a second opinion on it. But he's not practiced either day. And, and so I don't see him playing. I think it is going to be a couple of weeks before you see him. I, I think we talked on the postgame podcast that, you know, if you can target Buffalo, that seems to be a fair place for him to come back. Good news, though, is that the guy who's probably going to replace him, Joseph Osai, uh, was a full participant in practice today. Um, and I got a chance to talk to him a little bit yesterday. He seemed like he was doing fine um, and really excited to, to get a chance. Remember, he sacked Tom Brady back in that preseason opener, um, but he's looking forward to, to getting a real sack of, of Tom Brady. So there is some good news and there's also some not some good news. I think the bottom line is you're pretty thin at the cornerback spot, especially that slot corner. And Dax Hill's is going to probably get thrown into the mix as the starter in, in, in
0: this game. We'll see how that goes. I did want to ask you about one more thing from the Browns game before we move on to this week's game. This is a tweet from Scott Petrick or Petrick. He's a a Browns beat writer for the Medina Gazette or something. Who really cares? Uh, But he said the Browns pass game coordinator, defensive back coach, Jeff Howard acknowledges it was a tough adjustment versus Bengals when wide receivers T Higgins and Tyler Boyd left early. Weren't sure if they would come back had planned all week to face all three wide receivers, not just Jamar Chase. Skinny, are you buying that excuse no. from game coordinator defensive back coach Jeff Howard what that the game idiots. became tougher for them when the Bengals lost two of their top talents?
1: No, they did move Jamar around a lot in that game because of that. Um, and and so, you know, maybe that's what he's referring to. He probably needs to be more specific. But no, no offense you. Would you rather face Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor or T.
0: Higgins and Tyler Boyd? Come on. Like, now. like what are we even talking about? This yeah. is such a ridiculous quote. Co- it's one of those things where coaches just get up there and they say, anything sometimes like they have all these spin zones and sometimes i don't think they even consider what's about to come out of their mouth and the logic or sense that it would make
1: yeah the the, the thing i would say is 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 maybe they weren't ready for jamar chase to move around as much as he did and the bengals tried to do that because he he, he you know he's the guy that's going to going to be the target on a lot of those plays So I think they decided wherever they could get a matchup, in fact, Zach even mentioned on Wednesday that, you know, it might have been Brian Callahan, one of the two, it all runs together, um, that, you know, a few times they got him in the slot with the safety John Johnson lined up on him. And I'm going to guess that's not what Cleveland had in mind of suddenly Jamar Chase is in the slot. And that should be John Johnson covering Tyler Boyd. Instead, he's covering Jamar Chase, and that's a mismatch. And there's no doubt, I mean, they targeted Jamar fifteen times in this game, Rick. It was it was force feed him the ball, make him the primary target on as many plays as possible. So you know if he wants to explain it in those terms, I'll buy that part of it. Uh, but no, I'm not buying him in general, talking about not being prepared to face Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor
0: you see what they were able to do in that game without those two other talented receivers and the way they moved Jamar Chase around. And, and don't get me wrong. like Everything's been running great with this team for the last several weeks. So there's, there's no real complaints on the game planning side of things. But just going back to conversations we have earlier in the year, when there is some frustration about you know, how can you not scheme a guy like Jamar Chase open? This is the type of stuff we were referring to, like force feed him the ball, right, move him around, do whatever you well, need to do to get yeah. the ball in his hands and let him make plays.
1: Yeah, I'm going to disagree with that a little bit, though. I mean, listen, you you got two other guys that that you want to keep a little bit happy, too. And so you can't make Jamar Chase the number one target on every play. I mean, you just can't. Because then you're going to get two other pissed off guys. Um, and that's what's kept, I think, all these guys happy, is depending on the matchup, Joe Burrow's going to throw where the coverage dictates. I do think in this game, though, because you're down to Jamar Chase and a bunch of backups, then yes, that's the time to force feed him without question. So I, I get why they don't. I get why they didn't. Um, I don't think it's a matter of not scheming Jamar Chase open. I think it's a matter of making sure you spread the wealth and let Joe Burrow eat in that regard. I I think in this game, though, hey, you're down to your main guy. And yet now I am going to force feed our main guy. That's why he had 15 targets.
0: Skinny, looking ahead to this week, how much do you care about this Tom Brady versus Joe Burrow matchup that most people seem to be trying to make this game about?
1: Yeah, I mean, that. Burrow addressed this a couple weeks ago with with Mahomes. I mean, it, it really is always about the quarterbacks. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. It, they're, they're the ones that whenever there's a matchup of teams, it's always a matchup of the quarterbacks. I mean, it is an interesting um, storyline, I guess, if you will. Um, I wrote a big piece today, um, kind of with everybody marveling at, at his age. Um, I, I kind of centered around Cam Taylor Britt, who I talked to yesterday, and he was funny. Um, you saw what happened with the 49ers guy over the weekend, right? He intercepted yeah. the pass, asked for the autograph. So I, we were talking to Joseph Osai first. It was me and a couple other guys. And I said, if you got a strip sack and got the fumble, would you ask him for an autograph? And he said, no, man, that's the goat. I got too much respect for that guy. I, I wouldn't do that. So then I walked up to cam and he was getting ready to go take a shower after practice. I got literally one question. He goes, all right, man, shoot. I said, did you see what the 49ers guy did? He goes, he goes, yep. I know what you're going to ask me. He goes, I would, I'd absolutely ask for autograph. It would be my first career pick. And I'd want that guy to sign that ball. He goes, ain't no doubt about it. I'm going to go ask that guy for the autograph. So the column was basically about those guys kind of disagreeing on, on their tact of something like that. But everybody agreeing that it's still a marvel what Tom Brady does at age 45. So I think you see, the marvel of Tom Brady, 23 years into his career, and now the up-and-comer who maybe one day in 15, 20 years if he plays that long, you talk about him in the, in that vein. I think that's kind of where we're at with that. And so I, I get it. I get the comparisons, and you knew it was going to be inevitable for this week, but I think that's what Burrow's point was a couple of weeks ago. Anytime you got marquee matchups with quarterbacks, that's going to be talked about.
0: Oh, it's funny you bring that up because that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about was how do you feel about these players Getting Brady to autograph a ball after picking him off, or just in general, the the way they're approaching him after games, and there's these lines, and everybody wants to get a piece of him and, and say something to him. like what are what are your general thoughts on that and how would you approach it if you well, were a player?
1: You know, I had somebody say this to me yesterday in the locker room, and they're right. Only thing the man can say is no. I mean, you know, he can he, he may he may take you up on it. He took Greenlaw up on it. Maybe it was the fact that they got their ass kicked and, and so it wasn't a close loss. I've got a feeling though, if let's just say the Bengals win a close one and maybe Dax Hill intercepts it to seal the win and that drops Tampa to six and eight and Carolina wins this weekend or Atlanta wins and suddenly Tampa's in a tie for first. I don't know how that'll go if Dax does it, but God love me said, I'm being honest
0: with you. I'm going to go do it. Well, let's see if it happens. I mean, like, would would you would you do it if you were a player? There's there's a certain level no. of ego attached to this, no. I think, and cool factor, too. Right. Like, yeah, I think I, some people would struggle to get over the idea of going to ask another player that you just played against for his autograph. And yeah,
1: situation. I, it is a weird one because, you know, then you see players all the time doing the jersey swaps. Right. Yeah. I mean, so is this kind of a version of the jersey swap just a little differently to some degree?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I kind of get that for a lot of people, Tom Brady is just going to transcend all of those unwritten rules. And it's like, who cares? He is the one guy that all of us would. I mean, Joe Burrow put it into perspective for me when he said all of my NFL memories include Tom Brady.
1: Well, how about this? I was like, that's a great point. Ryan Callahan said he became a fan of Tom of Brady's when he was in high school. (laughs) That's a great question. Think about that for a minute.
0: Yeah. But I mean, like, I have just. A little bit of time before, you know, I I remember Drew Bledsoe and all of that. So I I do remember a time in the NFL where there was no Tom Brady and he started and he was the young guy and the way he came up. But for most of the NFL players right now, they don't. I mean, it it is just the only NFL they know is Tom Brady. No, that's, that's crazy to think about.
1: No, there's no question. And think about put yourself in Cam Taylor-Britt's shoes as well. I mean, it would be his first career interception. The cornerbacks have a bet of who which cornerback's going to get the first interception this year. Um, it's a, it's a crazy stat that the Bengals' corners do not have an interception so far this season. So they got a bet among themselves of who will get the first one. I didn't even so realize. I, I think that. it's it, it, there's a, yeah, there's a lot involved with that. And I, I I swear I didn't expect the answer. He was just laughing about it because he said, "I'm just being honest, man. I'm going to do it." I thought, "Wow, that was not the answer I was I was expecting."
0: So the Bengals have nine team interceptions and that ranks towards the bottom the the leader is the Eagles with 15. but I mean half the league is 10 or fewer. so they're kind of middle of the packish, I guess in terms of their that. that's a crazy stat. I did not realize that none of the defensive backs had an well, interception. It felt like they had forced a fair amount of turnovers
1: this year. yeah I, I think a lot of it does stem from Ann Aruba does not like those corners taking chances. He doesn't want them jumping routes. in fact, if you remember, um, Oh, what game was it? It was not the Monday night game. It might have been the game after. Might have been the Monday night game, come to think of. Dax, Dax made a, or not Dax, excuse me, Cam Taylor Britt made a, a, he tried to jump around the Cooper, and he got caught in a weird spot where when he started to jump it, instead the quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, was, saw it and floated it over him, and it turned out to be a pretty sizable gain up the sideline. It was kind of a deep corner route um and cam cam gambled and he told him he told us that that money we said what'd you say to him he goes i told him never do that again and he, i'm sure he said it no a very stern thing of never do that again no reason to go jump routes just stay with the guy knock it away if, if you can so i i think some of that's a product of the way they they, they want their corners to play on defense
0: and the pack line defense of the nfl that's correct the Bengals are tied for 10th right now in turnover differential in the NFL at plus two. They have nine interceptions and six fumbles. They have 15 turnovers on offense, nine interceptions, four fumbles. But you think back to, I mean, hell, most of those interceptions are in that first game against That's the correct. Steelers.
1: Five. turnovers, I mean, four, four interceptions and a fumble in that game, all by Joe Burrow. Five in that first game. So they, though, they've been great at taking care of the ball since. In fact, a couple of Burrow's interceptions since that game have been kind of fluky tippish type plays that you just chalk up to, or, you know, one another one was JJ Watt again, TJ uh, Watt again, jumping up in the air and, and, and catching it with his face mask. So yeah, he's been so accurate and he's taken such good care of the football since that game. Um, you know, nobody's going through the year without an interception.
0: All right, let's move on to college basketball. We got some college football to talk about, too, but we'll come back to that uh, right before our betting segment to kind of combine those two segments, since we're basically just going to be talking about that Cincinnati-Louisville matchup. Wasabi! <laughs> let's uh, go to the college basketball side of things, where we'll start with the Crosstown shootout real quick. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this since it was last weekend, but Xavier beat Cincinnati 80-77. to uh, I think a lot of the game played out the way we thought, but... Then UC made made it a heck of a game at the end there, Skinny. Were you more impressed with UC or unimpressed with Xavier in those final minutes?
1: Uh, I'd go both. I mean, David DeJulius really balled out in those last 10 minutes. I mean, (laughs) he was absurd. He was really, really. Yeah, he was really, really good. Um, UC started taking it to the back basket a little bit more, and Xavier really had no resistance for it. Um, You know, the one that I recall was Landers Nolly come flying down the lane, got fouled and and slammed it with two hands. That seemed to provide a spark.
0: Well, and you Um, know what Xavier did that sparked that was they had just subbed Kiki Tandy into the game, who was matched up with Landers Nolly.
1: That didn't work out so good. And then I thought Xavier got away from what they did really for a good chunk of the game with some of the high-low stuff and, and at least getting an inside touch before anything else took place. And all of a sudden it was pick and pop for Jack Nunji. And he did hit a big three to, to quell one run. And then it almost felt like, well, I'm going to keep quelling these runs by hitting another pick and pop three. And he didn't. And, you know, suddenly three missed trips. And UC's got three three successful trips. And there's, you know, six, eight, nine points quickly shaved off the lead. I, I think for Xavier, though, it is a great lesson that hopefully they would take moving forward of, Game gets tight. Let's do what we did. Let's get some inside touches when we can. It may not have to finish inside, but let's get a touchdown in there um, and, and, and play our offense from there. And so lesson learned, probably. Um, and for UC, I would think that's a nice confidence boost the last 10 minutes of, you know, of, of, hey, you know, we fought through everything. We have a couple of guys who can make plays and we need to have them continue to make plays. And it was a good follow-up, I thought, for both. You know, Xavier got a chance to play a bunch of guys against Southern. Um, Now, the bench didn't do great. That didn't help cause. But basically, if you'd have played the starters, that was a 30-point win. And for UC, Miami's terrible, mind you. But come out of that game and and not feel sorry for yourself and go win by 27 or whatever the heck it was, I think both teams came out of that better than I thought they would have come out of that.
0: Going back to that final three-minute stretch, basically coming out of the final media timeout at like 340-ish, Colby Jones was at the free throw line, and he made a free throw after the timeout to put Xavier up by eleven. So Xavier was up. Uh, I mean, they were in control of the game. They had played well for thirty-five plus minutes Questions. leading up to that, and then they they really kind of all the struggles came in down the stretch. And and I, I give a lot of cr- credit to David DeJulius because he went sicko mode there at the end was just absurd. Um, but then on the other side of things, when you talk about Xavier, I think a couple things happen. And one of them, you have to give Wes Miller some credit for because he quit playing Jeremiah Davenport, who was getting dominated inside all game defensively, he the two bigs. and he put Odio Guam in there as a second big. And now it kind of looks like that might be something they're just doing in general, not just as a, a matchup thing against Xavier because they, they have the two big men, but because Sometimes Jeremiah Davenport isn't giving them enough and playing with two big men on the court and being a tougher team and a team that really rebounds inside and can defend the post a little bit more, making it tough to score around the basket might be a better look for them. Not all the time, but sometimes. And I think you even saw that in the Miami game, Jeremiah Davenport only played 19 minutes. And you know some of that is because you have a big lead, but some of it was because he was pulling them out of the game a little bit more often too, I think. And that might've done more for UC season, just that little stretch and finding that out than anything to this yeah, point, really. No, maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, they 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 posted up Davenport every time they could post him up. Well, Fremantle killed him in the first half. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was just EA. It was, it was taking lunch money from uh, the first grader at that point. I mean, it was just too easy for Xavier to lob it right over the top of him. And Fremantle had walked him up the lane. I mean, one of the times he just dunked it right on. I mean, that's like, you can't give up two-handed dunks out of just a simple post up like that, a little high, low action, the way savers running it when you knew it was coming. I mean, that's how right. that's what they do on every single possession. So, yeah, the other thing I give West credit for is not running that stupid press that they've been doing most of the season. Because yeah, I thought I that I helped even, keep them in the call, game.
1: You know what I, I've told you, I don't even call it a press. It, it is honestly the most Mickey Mouse thing I've ever seen a college team do. It really, truly is. Yeah, if you're going to press, go get it, go after somebody or give me a soft two, 2 one that you can back into something where they're not throwing through a, through the first trap. And then once you throw through the first trap, it's a dunk at the end of it. I mean, I still don't know what the hell that thing is.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. I think I mentioned maybe on the preview podcast we did last week that teams had an effective field goal percentage of 67% against that press. <laughs> When they play normal defense, they're not all that bad most of the time, but that press was really killing them. And Xavier specifically has killed pressure this year. So I think that was a really good decision. And then you you saw even Southern who plays – I mean, almost like an Eastern Kentucky or press Virginia style where they press most of the game and they want to be frenetic and play full court and and create turnovers and everything. They didn't even press against Xavier. They they fell back into a half court defense. There was double in the post and stuff. So uh, I think the, the the book is out on you don't want to let Xavier run and score in transition. You want to force them to play a half court game and and take your chances that well, way. And so
1: the I mean, with, with their length, I mean, even even, you know. And it's not, I'm not just talking about Fremantle and, and Nunge, but just their functional link at, the, at the point guard. Kunkel's not long, but Kunkel's just a—he's a crafty guy. He, you're not going to trap him very often. Uh, I, I think they're a hard team to press because of all that.
0: Yeah, well, they, they they do pass the ball really well. They've got some shooters at the end of it now, and and right guys taking those shots. They're not just firing them up, and then they it gives allows them to get easy entry passes to their big guys too when you're falling back out of your pressure and coming back you're not getting good pressure on the ball they're getting the ball inside too easily at times against that press too so uh, I think it's a whole combination of things but it's something that's definitely become a trend here against Xavier and and I thought it was a good decision by Cincinnati not to do that and and it gave them a chance to stay in this game and hang around it was really the most fun shootout we've had since probably the uh the Trayvon blew it free throw game uh, his freshman year when Gary Clark fouled him and it, it came down to the final possession of that game. That was like, I think the 2014, 15 season. So it's been a while since we've really had a, a close cross shootout.
1: Yeah. And you know, you got COVID, you got COVID mixed into that a little bit too. Um, so yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And I, I you know, um, uh, can, can I ask you another question
0: it? about it though? Yes. I don't understand why the technical was such a big deal there at the yes. end.
1: Okay. So, so I, <laughs> I texted our friend Chad Brendel because he was on, he was in in Twitter wars with a lot of people who still, I'm still trying to figure out how they don't understand this. And I told him and and, and he got a kick out of it. I said, I said, your take at the end of that game is wrong, Chad. And I was waiting for the response. I said, it wouldn't have been a 94 foot heave, as you suggested. It would have only been an 85 foot heave. I mean, people can, can anybody use some logic here? Right. Let's go through the whole scenario. Number one, and I know this rule at my level at high school level, you, you don't get the ball back. All right. So that would be a stupid move. Although I've also done NBA. I've all, I've done it before, Rick. I've done, I've taken a timeout. Um, when we made a bucket to cut it to one, just out of desperation with like three seconds ago, knowing it's a technical, just hoping to God, the guy blows them. Then hoping to God, we get a steal or a turnover, or a five count. I'm, you know, I'm fighting the thing till the end, but the thing that Wes Miller knew, and he asked the official double checked it, said, My guys are going to take a timeout. I'm out of them. Will we get the ball back after free throws? The official said yes. Smart move. Everybody's then up in arms of, well, you know, all you were going to be able to do was tie it. You didn't, A, know that Colby Jones is going to make both free throws. B, you got a chance to have a set play. I know a seven-footer was on the ball and he batted it away and all those things. I would have rather taken my chance on that 100 times out of 100 times rather than, Catch the rebound, dribble one, sling it 85 feet and just hope and pray.
0: No, yeah, well, And there's numbers to support it. Ken Pomeroy tweeted out that, you know, whatever, he's done the research on it and you're much better off th- throwing an inbounds pass and getting a set shot off as opposed to heaving it off of a rebound. I mean, that's not even a question. I don't that's what I don't understand. Why is anyone I don't either. Not, I, not to mention? Here's the thing. It took it from like a OK, if you uh, if you play it out without the technical foul, you have probably like a point zero 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 one percent chance that you maybe win that game. What Wes Miller did gave them maybe a 0.5 or a 1% chance of winning. Like it wasn't going to happen either way. What are we even arguing or caring about this for? I don't understand why people were upset about it. I don't understand why they were talking so much about it. And here we are now carry on for three minutes about it. But like, I just don't, I didn't get that. It made no sense to me. It was not a big deal. I, and maybe that no, was maybe, a huge deal if you were betting on the game. That was incredible. Yeah, good point. If you yeah, had maybe, a minus two and a half, that was unbelievable. A maybe was from the guy. fans Yeah, maybe
1: it was just fans that that honestly were upset at West Miller because they lost the game. Uh, maybe they're upset that he didn't have a timeout still in his back pocket. I, I I honestly don't know. But the scenario, the way he played it out in that moment to think in those good for man. Yeah,
0: it was good for him. Great move. i had never seen that done before, actually. So I did think it was a, a great call. Like, I, I mean, maybe he's seen someone else do that, but I, I don't know. It was it was a, a good decision, a, a move I had never seen used before. But I also think the NCAA has to look at that rule going forward. Right. I mean, that is totally not the spirit of excessive timeout. Usage. I mean, you're not trying to give them a timeout and potentially give them the ball back like that. So I, I would think they would change it to match what the NBA and high school rules are.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little well, I'm a little surprised that it's not at the point. Well, I guess it is the point of interruption because the point of interruption was you had the ball, so that would be the point of interruption.
0: Yeah, I, I I I would think they would look at that going forward, but that's probably more time than we ever needed to to spend on that. The Arizona IARP ruling came down on Wednesday. Skinny and Xavier found out that Sean Miller would not be getting any suspension or punishments. Miller was cleared of wrongdoing after originally being charged with failing to demonstrate an atmosphere for compliance. What, what were your overall thoughts on how this whole thing shook down?
1: So so they tossed the level one allegation against him out, correct? Correct. Well, at that point, then then it is a moot point to me. It, it, that's why there is no suspension at that point. Um, and I think that's what it came down to. Now, you could argue whether they should have tossed that out or not. But once that's tossed, what, what's there to suspend
0: him for? There are arguments against this, obviously, and and about why the assistants got show causes and he didn't. But you know, I think a lot of this is about what you can prove and what you have evidence of. And from reading through those reports and their findings, it sounded like Sean Miller did a pretty good job of keeping track of all of this stuff, all the stuff that he was supposed to keep track of. And the the thing that I just cannot understand at all, and this is not about Sean Miller. This is about Any program in the country, Skinny, every single one of them are doing something. And I don't mean that to be offensive to anybody, but there's just like, even without knowing it, sometimes you have mistakes, right? And here's the thing that I can't understand. You had the NCAA, the IARP, and the freaking FBI with wiretaps involved on this program for a long time. And they couldn't come up with anything, nothing. There was nothing there. Sean Miller might have been running the cleanest program of all time, for all we know. Looking at the the evidence they came up, like how did they find nothing there? That's incredible to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you had the the phone recording of Book Richards and saying, uh, you know, Sean Miller was paying DeAndre eight and
0: whatever no, it was. No, no, Man. no. That's the thing. That is one hundred percent untrue, bogus. It was a lie by ESPN and Mark Schleyball. That's why Mark Schleyball is nowhere to be found. And none of these ESPN people are talking about it because it's already been proven that Arizona wasn't even wiretapped at the time of DeAndre Ayton's recruitment. That was a lie by Mark Schleyball. Well, That's no, I mean, it does, does not exist. Yeah. Did books say that though? Oh, I think we're we're talking about two different things here, actually. I'm sorry. I'm referring to the ESPN article about DeAndre Ayton getting paid a hundred thousand by Sean Miller and that being captured on wiretap. I think you're referring to the actual conversation about book Richardson or between book Richardson and Christian Dawkins that was played in court about 10 uh, K a month being paid to, to certain guys or what have you. And to this point, to this point, what we know is that the FBI has cleared those players of taking any money. They've cleared Sean Miller of knowing anything about this or having any attachment to any of this. And they have said that book Richardson was essentially taking bribes from other places to direct players to certain agents or shoe companies, what have you, but then never following through on it and actually transferring money to anyone else. He was just making some money himself, essentially. And and this is what
1: it comes down to though. This is why it's always been a high level mafia game for, for all these coaches is the guy at the top can wash his hands by just saying, go get me players. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Go get me players, and you as the assistant have to figure out what line am I going to cross to go get these players. That's what it comes down to for all of these guys. And now that we're in the in the day of nil, a lot of the dirtiness of that's gone away, and it's going to go away. Right. The one thing I go back to though is this. Like I said, once the level one was was tossed, what were you going to suspend him for?
0: No, I, I mean, you couldn't. That was the whole thing. I mean, the whole process was finding out whether he was guilty of that level one violation. And, then, and if he was, then there might be a suspension. But uh, they found he wasn't. They cleared what, him of all wrongdoing.
1: Can I ask one more question on this? What was the purpose of the IARP? It did nothing.
0: Oh, it was, the, it was one of the biggest mistakes by the NCAA out of a whole huge history of dumb mistakes. This was the dumbest thing they've ever done. I mean, it really, it didn't do anything to anybody. No, and they weren't equipped for it. It was like just a a ragtag group that they threw together to try to handle these very complicated and seemingly to the NCAA, very important investigations. And they were entirely unequipped to do it. And by the way, the rules of the sport and everything else were changing in the background while all of this was going on, making it kind of a moot point in a lot of cases and kind of a, a, a stupid scenario.
1: Yeah, and you go back to, you know, there was some hand-wringing when Sean was brought back to Xavier, but, you know, you have to give, I guess, Greg Christopher enough credit to have dug deep enough to go, I'm comfortable with this, even if he gets a little bit of a suspension, I'm still very comfortable with this. And it turns out he gets no suspension, so you you end up being extraordinarily comfortable with this.
0: Yeah, I don't know where we go from here with a lot of this stuff and and. It, it, are there investigations like this going forward? Is the NCAA just so. going to be basically done trying to find they, they any wrongdoing? And Also, is there how much wrongdoing can you get into now with NIL and stuff?
1: That's what I'm saying. I mean, they can't get their hands around how to legislate in, uh, NIL. So it's almost like they've just said, you know what, we're we'll turning our back to
0: it. And OK. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Cincinnati announced earlier this week that it agreed to a contract extension and raise for Wes Miller until 2029 at an average of $2.95 million per year. Skitty, what are your thoughts on Cincinnati's big extension for Wes Miller?
1: Okay, I understand it, and I don't understand it. I understand it going into the Big 12. You're trying to get him the security to recruit um, and not have his legs cut out from him in years one and two. I don't understand the bump in pay, um, and I got to figure – the buyout must not be all that much because let, there's a pretty there's a scenario where two years into the Big 12, four years into his contract, and at that point we're in the – I'm doing this off the top of my head – we're in the 20 – he'd still have four more years on his contract. At that point, if things go haywire the first two years in the Big 12, are you really keeping him around?
0: Well, you, I think you know what this is about. John Cunningham cannot separate himself from Wes Miller at this point, he needs Wes Miller. No, He's doubled successful. down. Yeah,
1: no question. He's, it, it's, yeah. He's doubled because down if,
0: on, on the scenario. No question. If things really go South and they have to fire Wes Miller, John Cunningham is the one who's on the hot seat. And also I don't know that any of the big donors or anyone else wants to let him make that next hire. If they do have to move on from Wes Miller. So I think it was in John Cunningham's best interest to extend West Miller and give him more money and be all bought in on West Miller. I get that. Give him everything he needs to succeed. I don't really have much of an issue with that. I am kind of perplexed by the timing of it. Like, does it change if you announce it after the season?
1: Yeah, I, I don't either, unless it was the show of confidence after the shootout. I, I don't know. I honestly, I, I, I'm kind of with you on that. And
0: that seems to be the opposite of what you would want after you lose to your big, you lose to your biggest rival for the second straight year. And that's the time that you choose to announce no, but, that but, you're you, doing a big. Extension. Well, that's what I'm
1: saying. That, that's where he's showing. This is my guy.
0: Yeah, I guess. I think I'd rather wait till I, it looks like, hey. This is my guy. He's got things rolling in the right direction. Well, like maybe after some big non maybe after some big AAC wins, here coming up or something I'm not,
1: like that. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm completely with you. That's why I said I get it. And I don't. I mean, I get that he what he's what,
0: what the purpose, but I also don't get the fact of you. You didn't have to do this right now. Yeah. The timing of it just doesn't really make any sense at all. Like he's not in a bad spot from a recruiting perspective. He had more than four years still left on his deal. So it's not like anyone was going to use it to negatively recruit against him. And I understand giving them a raise again, that's no issue at all to me. It makes sense to give them more money as you move into the Big Twelve. You're gonna have more money to pay him. That's fine. I just why would you announce it right now? I like what happens now if all of a sudden you have a really bad finish to the season again.
1: Oh, I did like it, you did last year. Like, it, doesn't it that
0: kind of look like a weird move? It's gonna be hard in the Big Twelve. Well, sure, next year is going to be hard in the Big 12, but what about this year? What if you oh, flop and get in the AAC like you did last year?
1: No, I'm ponying off what you said. I, if, if that takes place, then it's going to be hard in the Big 12.
0: Yeah, obviously, we talked about it last week about how this thing could could snowball on, on Wes Miller, and he's going to have to really thread that needle in year four, potentially, as, as things stand. But, I, I mean, I just it's and strange I'm, timing to announce a an extension, although I don't really have an issue with them giving him the extension. I, I think it makes sense from John Cunningham's perspective.
1: And to be frank, I mean, he should have success in the AAC this year. And then the question is, what if he did, if you can't beat these rum-dums other than Houston?
0: I mean, I don't know that the roster is going to be better next year. I mean, it seems like it's going to be tough to replace David no, DeJulius I, off this team.
1: Like I said, I, I get it and I don't. I just don't, I don't understand what, what, what was the need for it now.
0: No, especially to announce it right now. But since uh, Cincinnati hammered Miami on Wednesday, they still have two bye games left against LaSalle and Detroit Mercy before they get into conference play. Xavier beat up on Southern on Tuesday, and we'll start Big East play on Friday against Georgetown. I guess we, uh, we can wrap it up with some NKU and some Kentucky talk here. Skinny NKU bounced back from rough trip to Washington State with a home win 64-61 over EKU on Wednesday night. The North will take on Miami Hamilton on Sunday and then Florida Atlantic next Wednesday before they tip off horizon league play. And that Florida Atlantic game is going to be difficult. They are the best team that NKU's faced this season top 50 in Ken Palm.
1: Although uh, they've already played a couple horizon league games, but I, I get your point. Um, well, when they get into their actual horizon correct. League schedule. Yes. Correct. So, so I had to ask you before the podcast began, cause I saw the guy's name, um, who scored, who made four threes for NKU last night. And I went to their game, the Robert Morris game. Guy didn't even get off the bench. So I had to look at him, and I noticed he's only played in another game this year. Lay the guy's name on me, and where the hell did Alon, what's his last name, come from?
0: Alon Sumler. Yeah. He's a a true freshman. He came from Buford, Georgia, and they were going to redshirt him. He didn't play the first six games. Then, you know, he was just doing enough in practice. He's been guarding Marquez Warwick every day on the scout team, and he just— Shows enough toughness and confidence, quite honestly, that they're like, maybe we need to give him a chance. Plus, he he can shoot. And, you know, it's always nice to have more firepower on the offensive side. So they started throwing him out there for a few minutes at a time. And then last night, you know, he went in the game, knocked down a, an open shot from the corner. And then after that point, it was just like, you know, the kid has confidence. He's not scared to let it fly. When they leave him open and the way Eastern Kentucky flies all around and traps the ball and double teams, everyone, they're always late to recover to shooters. And they left him open a a bunch of times. He knocked down four threes and really kind of carried. I mean, Xavier Rhodes carried NKU. He was their leading scorer in this one. Uh, But on a night where Mark Warwick and Sam Vincent and Trayvon Faulkner combined to go one for 21 from the field. It was uh, Alon Sumler stepping up and knocking down four threes that kind of really gave them that extra punch on offense.
1: That, that, yeah, that was just crazy. I saw the guy's name. I'm like, who, who is this? this guy? Is this the right name? Who is this guy?
0: And you look at NKU schedule. First of all, is there a better value than a NKU season ticket right now? I, like, okay, they get blown out in the first game against Kent State. But since then, you had a 13-point win over UC, which was the only easy win that they've had this year. And then five straight close, hard-fought wins. Two of them went to double overtime. The others came down to the final possession of the game, and that's been all the home games so far yeah. this season.
1: Yeah, no, that's a nice win over EKU. I, I,
0: I'd like to see them become a, a home and home. Yeah, well, they've been playing that series here the yeah. last uh, few years, so hopefully they'll keep that going. Um, the final point here is we've got Cal versus Mick this weekend on Saturday, five fifteen, UCLA, Number 16 team in the country will take on the number 13 team in the country, the Kentucky Wildcats at Madison Square Garden. What do you think about this one, Skinny? It's kind of it's kind of UK's last big chance before they get into SEC play.
1: Yeah, and they still I just remind they still have Kansas in, in January in the uh, in the Big 12 SEC thing. But yes, you're right. This is this is the last big swing. And to this point, the best win is what? Michigan? And if you lose this one, that would be losing to UCLA, Gonzaga, Michigan State. Not embarrassing, but you didn't make any statement in the non-conference. Well, and the bigger issue, I think, is that they're not playing
0: well. Like that Yale game was a struggle. The
1: the Yale game, if Oscar Shibway wasn't the biggest, baddest guy on the floor, they probably lose that game. The second half, it was literally just throw it into him. They can't guard him because he's too big and strong. And I think he had 20 of his 28 points in the second half. That's great. That's all well and good. That got you a win, but that's not a formula moving forward playing good teams. Oscar's a big part, but Oscar's not getting you 28 on a nightly basis against good teams. He's a really good player, but he's not doing that. So what else you got for me? And so far, you got a bunch of inconsistency yet again.
0: I just think someone is going to have to step up on the perimeter for them. It seems like you know, obviously Oscar is great, but well, in the past, T- Jacob
1: Toppin's trying to. God love him.
0: Well, and I mean, even he should probably be more of a front court player. Sure, he, he should. He stop shouldn't shoot a three.
1: Should stop shooting threes, but yes. he's trying to.
0: Totally agree with that. He needs to stop shooting the one footed fadeaways from 15 to 18 feet. But right now, Antonio Reeves is their leading scorer out of the guards at 13.9 points per game, and Antonio Reeves is a nice player. He shoots it well from the outside, but. Even in the last few years, when UK has had their issues, they've had a talented alpha scorer out on the perimeter. Right now, they don't have anything that looks that part. No,
1: I, I, and I'm not so sure if it's me. I, I'm I'm going to throw Livingston back in, or even Frederick back in, and get topping out of the starting lineup. I, I I'm going to surround Oscar with a bunch of shooters. Uh, and I know Severe Wheeler is not in that shooter category. But I, I don't know I, I you, some, you've got to do something different instead of trying the same stuff over and over and over and expecting a different result. It's just not there.
0: I would agree. We'll see how it goes on Saturday again. that game's at 5 15 pm. Madison Square Garden It sh- should be an interesting one. UCLA's playing fairly well right now. They just got a big win against Maryland.
1: Eat the crap out of Maryland the other night.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go over to college football and our betting picks. Um, but before we get into the the actual picks here, skinny. Do you care at all about the bowl games coming up here? We're we're starting to enter bowl season as we go into this weekend. You'll have some actual bowl games being played, including that Louisville Cincinnati game at Fenway Park. But do, do you care about any of these games anymore? With all the guys opting I, out I and, do because moving col- on and yeah. I do because I'm a college
1: football junkie, but I will say the 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 the, the transfer portal timing. And the, the the NFL draft, getting ready for it, timing really does take a lot out of these 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 minor bowl games. I mean, honestly, I I told a friend of mine. I said, if you're going to bet these games, I said you better damn well read up on who's playing and who's not. Because I've been surprised every time I've looked at a game, going, oh, he's not playing. Oh, okay, crap. All right. I mean, U C is missing. It's two wide receivers. It's two tight ends. Um, and and down to to uh, Evan Prater at quarterback. Louisville's playing without Malik Cunningham, if I'm not mistaken. Their quarterback. Uh, it, it just, it just, the time, the timing of the portal is weird. Why can't we wait till January?
0: Well, and even if you didn't have the portal, you would still have all these talented players opting out because of professional aspirations. But or there's, even but there's not think- as many of those,
1: there's not as many as those that, that, as there are of those that have jumped in the portal.
0: Well, that that's true. But even if you think that you're going to leave for next year, why take a chance on getting hurt in this game? You might just wait and save yourself even if the portal's not for another month or so. So I don't know that there's a great way to fix it other than just get rid of these damn bowl games. I'm sure they won't because there's sponsors involved and that means money and they don't want to do away with that. But like, what do we do when we have the 12-team playoff going forward? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, those guys can get hurt just as easily as I can get hurt in the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Right, but I think if you're playing for a championship, these guys want that. That means something. They're going to play in that for the matters. But are, are you still going to have all these extraneous bowl games outside of those? Yes. Top 12 teams. Yes. For the money. I mean, those are going to be an absolute. Met- Who is going to care about those other than degenerate gamblers? Well, but there's a, there's a whole
1: posse of them now. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of states that are legalizing gambling. So,
0: uh, uh, there's true. a whole
1: lot of those folks out there, dude.
0: But you're right. If you are gambling on these games, I mean you you totally just have to go with storyline or something you like or root for points and take the over or root for no points and take the under. Cause you think both teams are in shambles or something like that, because you really have no idea what you're going to get out of most of these teams. And well, that's a great place to start with Saturday at 11 AM at Fenway park. We have Louisville as a one point favorite against Cincinnati. The total is 40. I, I mean, you, neither team has a head coach. They have, players that are opting out. What, what, what do you, how do you look at this game and, and make a serious pick on it?
1: Yeah, you can't, but I'm going to go ahead and try to take a stab at it. Uh, listen, I love Kerry Combs as much as the next guy I've covered him since he was at Colrain and, and uh, really fell in love with him as a coach. Uh, I, they're just in such a tough spot, in my opinion, with their opt outs. I do know Malik Cunningham opted out for, for Louisville, but Brock Doman got some meaningful snaps this year for them at quarterback. Um, I think probably for Louisville's players, they may even be going, who, thank God Satterfield's gone. Where if you're a UC player, you're like, man, our coach just bailed on us, and eh, to hell with it. And you've seen some guys already jump, jump out of this game. So I'm gonna take Louisville, um, uh,
0: uh, 27-13. All right, so that is Louisville and you're right on the number there at the total, right? You picked 40, 27, 13. Yeah, let's go twenty-seven let's go twenty-seven fourteen. Okay, so you're gonna be on the over then. Um I actually agree with everything you just said. I think that's the more logical route, but for me, it comes down to, I think, do I believe more in Kerry Combs rallying the troops or Louisville's players wanting to beat the team that their coach just left them for? Uh, I'm going Kerry Combs over Deion Branch. I just think Kerry Combs is going to work his magic. He is Coach O. He is the perfect interim head coach. He is is a great interim head coach. These types of situations, he will get guys to buy in and care about this game. And it's usually about who cares about the game more. I am going to go Cincinnati 24 Louisville 17. So I am also on uh, the over, but I am taking Cincinnati. Okay. Also Sunday at 425, we have the Bengals as a three and a half point favorite in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers. The total is 44 and a half.
1: Yeah, the, the, the Bengals are playing so well right now that, that it's hard to pick against them. Um, and I'm not going to pick against them other than I'm going to pick against them in the number. I think this will be pretty close. Uh, I think the injuries at that slot corner, I mean, you're starting two rookie corners against Tom Brady. Uh, I, I don't care who they have at receiver. Um, that's a that's a big ask. Um, I, I'm going to go Bengals. I'll go Bengals 20, Buccaneers 17. Bengals cover, or the Buccaneers cover and the under for me.
0: Yeah, I, I like the under a lot. I've been talking about that with the Bengals here for the last three or four weeks now, and, and both of these teams are heavy under teams, Bucks even more so than the Bengals. So I definitely like the under here. I looked at some power ranking numbers and other betting metrics. And quite honestly, I was surprised by what I saw. A lot of them seem to suggest the bucks as an outright winner. Oh, I could see it. I was a little surprised to see the spread, what it was three and minus three and a half. I don't like what the numbers tell me and what this spread is that those two things do not mix. Well, however, the eye test is just too strong for me right now with the Bengals. I can't pick against them. I'm going to say they get it done by a touchdown. 24-17, I'm going Bengals in the under
1: here. Well, let me give you another Tampa Bay reason. This was a great answer. Ted Karras on Wednesday was asked about you know how Brady responds back against the wall, and that's kind of where Tampa is, right? The ugly loss to Frisco, and and they're still clinging to first place. And Ted just looked at the report. He goes, y'all remember 28-3, don't you? to and that was the score, obviously, in the Super Bowl where Brady yep. brought him back from 28 to 3 down. I think that's a pretty good point made right there is don't ever count this cat out. And and that's the part for me is just when it feels like things are slipping away from him and this team, he does find a way. And that's what that's what would scare you a little bit.
0: And that's kind of the surprising thing about what's been going on with them is he actually isn't struggling, really. He's played pretty well. He's still don't putting up like, some numbers. Rick.
1: They're asking him to throw the ball, and I did this stat today in the column I wrote about how what a marvel he is at age 45. He's averaging 44.6 pass attempts per game. You talk about throwing everything on a guy's shoulder,
0: let alone a 45 year old shoulders. Well, I mean, what was it? Maybe six, five, six years ago, it kind of felt like there were a couple seasons in a row where he would struggle during the regular season, and then he'd play well at the end of the year and make his run with the Patriots. But it felt like okay, he's getting to the end of his time now. I don't really sense that this time. I sense that the, the Bucks have a terrible coaching staff, and that whole organization him. is in shambles right yeah, now. In- injuries
1: have really bothered them, especially on defense.
0: Yeah, but I don't think he is a- at the end necessarily. Like, if he wants to keep playing, I think physically he looks like he can. If you thought he physically couldn't do it anymore, would you
1: drop him back 44.6 times per game on average?
0: Oh, I I don't think they care at all about that right now. I think they'll weaken at Bernie's that cat after he's (laughs) gone from us. But all right, let's get into some ask any anything. Uh, We'll we'll start with this one. Uh, When I got in the DMs from a, a local sports fan who said, should we care at all about the Reds at this point? Guess not, since you stopped talking about them.
1: Well, what's there to talk about? You want to talk about them getting the Rule 5 guy, then trading him to a team for a player to be named emulator in cash, and that player happens to be 25-year-old Jake Wong, who's still in high A-ball for Frisco? Go get him,
0: guys. Yeah, I mean, sir, I, I don't know if you realize this, but the, the season ended a few months ago. I don't – well, they're not playing any hope- games right now.
1: And, and, and as you would hope in the hot stove, if you want us to get excited, do something. Do I mean, honestly, the Rule 5 draft kid looked like a pretty good draftee out of the Pirates organization. And What do you, lo and behold, do? You end up trading for a player to be named later in cash? And the player to be named later is a 25-year-old dude in high A-ball? What are you doing? And I listen, I'm fully on board with let, let, bottom this thing out. Don't spend money on the Tommy Fams of the world. Stop doing that kind of crap. But don't expect me to be excited by this until it's time to be excited by this.
0: For sure. That's the thing. It's like, you know, am I looking forward to watching the L.A. De La Cruises of the world and some of the other young talents that they picked up via trades this season? Sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to those guys.
1: But I would I would t- suggest go, go to our website. Actually, we, we put a story up this afternoon um, kind of on the, the, the Reds top prospects from baseball America that were just named for 2023 and they put together a projected reds lineup and pitching rotation. You can find that at local 12.com. So if you're looking for something reds related, there you go. I thought it was pretty interesting, actually.
0: Yeah. If you want me to get excited right now, talking reds future rosters though, I'm just, I'm not the guy for you. I'm sorry. Uh, Skinny referring to Kenny Payne's words as Louisville basketball hit rock bottom yet. No Western Kentucky's has though, Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. That this guy, this question came in this morning. I'm like, oh, did you miss the game last night? They finally won one. I I don't think, or or maybe he's talking about the fact that that was actually
1: considered an upset because Louisville was a seven and a half point home underdog to Western Kentucky. That is pretty sad. It's crazy, but yes, to answer your question, yeah, I think they've bottomed out. Maybe this, this is maybe this is the rebirth, the restart.
0: I don't know. I mean, don't you think it's going to feel worse when they go winless in a ACC play?
1: I, th- I still, I'm gonna, I'm gonna
0: stick to my guns.
1: They find a way to pull out two home wins. Man,
0: I don't know. Uh, is it possible the steal? Oh, this was from a few weeks ago, and I it was in my DMs, and then I forgot to ask it, and the guy reminded me again, and so I'm asking it now. So it, you might be kind of like, why is he asking this now? He was closer to the Steelers game when he asked it. Just okay. to fill you in here. Is it possible the Steelers have a bounty system just for the Bengals, like the Saints did? <laughs> I don't think it can be ruled out. I do not think it can be ruled out. I I will tell you, I wouldn't rule it out
1: either. Um, I will tell you that one Monday night game where unfortunately Ryan Shazier suffered that neck injury, that horrific neck injury, that honest to God, Rick was the scariest game. I think I've ever covered in person. I mean, it looked like everybody was out to kill. I literally, it looked like a gang fight.
0: Those two teams hated each other.
1: Oh, my Lord. And the hitting in that game was just so ferocious. And it's still one of our favorite jokes that that that, that we have among ourselves as riders. Because after the game, and I mean, dude, there's guys in there. You can just tell they're, they're in their locker slump. They was like they just got out of the worst car crash of a lifetime. And there's Kivare Russell, who didn't even play, might have even been inactive, using the roller on his thighs. I mean, <laughs> come on, my guy. <laughs> Gotta roll it out. What? What doing? You got guys around you, bloodied and battered, and you didn't even play, and you're gonna roll out the thighs? Come on,
0: now. Uh, You missed his yoga session after.
1: Yeah, exactly,
0: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, I I, maybe you'll care about this question. I don't know. uh, Here's the weird thing about this question. Okay. The guy who asked it is a Northern Kentucky guy. I know him well. You know him. You're a Northern Kentucky guy. I am a Northern Kentucky guy. All three of us, lifetime Northern Kentuckians. And here was his question. Start one, bench one, cut one for Cincinnati neighborhoods. Blue Ash, Wyoming, and Oakley. <laughs> That's, that is bizarre. I, I just don't like, I, I love this I, guy. I, He's a great guy. I went to high I, school with him. He, you know, I, but he knows all three of us are annoying tech guys. And he asked us about Cincinnati neighborhoods. It's like, I couldn't begin to tell you anything. I don't care. Okay. The only thing I know basically about Blue Ash is I I do like
1: Blue Ash Chili. It's one of my favorite places to ever go. When I'm in Kenwood doing some podcasts for a friend of mine who owns a media company, um, he will take me to lunch at, at Blue Ash Chili. So that's, and I don't even know if it's in Blue Ash technically, but that's what I know of Blue Ash. So start Blue Ash, it sounds like. Yeah. I, I can't discern Oakley from Hyde Park. Same. I mean, I, I Agreed. I'm sorry there. Wyoming, I do like because I, I do games at the high school there because I I they're part of a, a contract for games that we stream. I've done a bunch of games there over the last two or three years. Um, I enjoy my visits to Wyoming High School, but quite frankly, the only thing I know about wherever I stop is I stop at a UDF there right before you get on the interstate to get a couple of road pops. So that's kind of what I know of <laughs> Wyoming. So I, I I can't really give that an informed informed opinion, to be quite frank.
0: Uh, I hope if you no... want to
1: throw if you want to throw like Ludlow and Burlington and Taylor Mill at
0: us. I'll take a crack at that. Uh, we can go all day on Bromley Ludlow and the differences Dude. between those two little a or the the, the Latonia Covington situation. And, and how, how Latonia was apexed from Covington. It's not really a city like we can talk about all that stuff if you want. But Blue Ash, Wyoming and Oakley. But yeah, I just what are we so do events.
1: Yeah, I, I just I, I don't spend a lot of time in any, any of them. So uh, so based on the spirit of his question, though, and I always like the spirit of the question. So I told you, I always try to it may not be the answer you like. So, start one, cut one, bench one. Yep. I, I'm going to cut Oakley because I just don't know where it starts and where Hyde Park starts.
0: Yeah. I, as long as the Fuji Steakhouse that my wife and I go to isn't in Oakley, I'm fine with that decision.
1: I'm, I'm going to start Wyoming because I make money in Wyoming. So,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: so, I'll, so I'll, I'll bench Blue Ash.
0: Blue Ash coming off the bench and yeah. uh, you can get Cause, some chills. Because I only go
1: there for lunch. So, that's a perfect like bench kind of thing is just a little lunch stop. It's got its role. It's it's got its role. That's what you want. So in the spirit of the question, I hope I answered it.
0: All right, Skinny, there is a new movie coming out. I don't know if you've seen that, but I I believe it is uh, what inspired this question. The best way to fight off a cocaine bear.
1: What is a cocaine bear?
0: There's a movie coming out. It's a, a horror film, but it's inspired by... There was at some point there was a a drug smuggler who dropped a a bunch of cocaine, a big giant shipment of cocaine out of his plane because his plane was too heavy when he was smuggling. And uh, then he parachuted out. He died during the parachute. And so the drugs were just sitting out in the woods somewhere. And a bear found it, got into it and died. That's a real story. So they were doing a horror take about that bear, essentially calling it cocaine bear. And he goes into a city and ravages the city, I guess. I don't know. It's not out yet, but that's basically the gist of it from what I understand. So uh, how would you go about fighting off a cocaine bear if you were to come across one?
1: Um, I'd have to have probably a bazooka. (laughs) I mean, how do you stop a cocaine bear? Cocaine bear, bears are already hard enough to defend, right? Yeah, I think. Um, A bear that's all coked up and he's just, he's out for not only just blood, he's out for like even your bones
0: probably. You um, would look like Jonah Williams against Miles Garrett, if I had to guess.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I'd want a bazooka at a minimum.
0: Yeah. I mean, just like bears. I think the right tactic from what I've heard is to play dead anyway. So if they're on cocaine, I think you definitely just play dead and take your chances. Yeah, but
1: he's probably he's out of his mind. He doesn't know that you're playing. See, I think you got to play mind games. Right? You got to charge him
0: and then it'll freak him out. And give him a heart attack. Yes. Because then he's then on lie. cocaine. And,
1: and, and then he'll die.
0: Yeah, that's not okay. See? Maybe I mean, element of surprise. You're going correct. with correct. He's
1: all coked out. He thinks he's got. And all of a sudden, you're freaking him out. He freaks out. He has a heart attack and goes.
0: I feel like that you you'd take about three to four seconds before you were on your way upstairs to heaven if you actually <laughs> tried to employ that tactic. I didn't think. What would be the worst animal to give cocaine to? The worst animal. Yeah, bear is pretty bad. Bears up there, man. How about a cheetah? cheetahs can,
1: cheetahs are fast anyway the coke's gonna speed him up too he's gonna speed him up even more
0: <laughs> You've got a cheetah just running 150 just, miles an hour just, around yeah exactly put him on a track at Indy. doesn't seem ideal yeah that might be a little bit dangerous too i would say though you don't want to live with a coke head so any pet that's in your house you don't want on cocaine probably that's
1: probably a good call
0: like imagine your yappy dog while we're trying to do this podcast if he's on coke
1: yeah, that that wouldn't that wouldn't go. So well. she's already neurotic as it is. She's she's she she just barked at us twice early in the podcast because whenever I talk at my computer as I'm doing now, as we're doing this podcast, I'm usually cursing at something that's not working properly, and she freaks out. So she she's like my protector dog. She'll come up and curl up next to me. But the fact that then I go on and on and on here for an hour plus, man, she just gets the hell out of the road, goes and curls up, and she's she's freaking out right now. I know she is.
0: Yeah. Well if maybe. she was on
1: Coke, she'd probably be my throat at the moment. Like yeah. she'd be all freaked out
0: that I'm freaking out. It sounds like she needs to go the other way, maybe get a little doggy C B D going or something. Uh,
1: we we give that to to uh to one of our to one of our dogs.
0: Yeah, it's the best it is the best product to sell in the world. You want to make been, money, get in the doggy C B D business. You can't tell if it works, but everyone feels good oh, about it. I think it does. It's my daughter's dog. He's everyone he, thinks it does.
1: Well, she's got a she's got a, a camera. Um so when he was for a while, whenever they leave the house, he freaked out. They started giving the CBD. He started to calm down. And some of it was, we let him stay with us for a little bit when we would leave. So he'd have two other companion dogs here. And I think he realized at that point, So I think it's all calming down. But I swear to God, that CBD, the first time I saw him on it, because
0: we were watching the camera, old boy was out. I've never heard someone say that it doesn't work. So I, I will believe you. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it is the best possible product you can have. Because it's not like the dog can be like, oh, yeah, I feel better now. I'm, I'm chilled out. Have you ever eaten a dog biscuit? I have not. Me, me neither, but but I, know okay. some I was have, a little concerned I about wondered, the way it no, was. I was going
1: to tie this into would would you would you would you share the CBD with the dog at some point?
0: No, I mean it's not like uh, you can't smoke it or anything, can you? I'm not going to eat doggy treats regardless of what it has in it.
1: Yeah, may, maybe a little hot sauce on it goes down just fine. You're you're in la la land for a bit.
0: I've seen I've seen some videos of dogs smoking cannabis with their owners, so that's I don't know. I mean, it's possible, I guess. That's a little much. I would say so. It seems like abuse to me, but yeah. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate it, Rick. We will be back uh Sunday
1: evening. I know Rick's got an NKU game, but it'll be over just in time for him to catch the Bengals. So we'll be back with our Bengals post-game podcast after they take on the Buccaneers on Sunday. We'll be back with this podcast. Roughly one week from today. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Weekly Pope Re-Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.